Hello and welcome to Talking Out Your Arts, the podcast that explores art and creativity and how it exists in the world. My name is Sam Foster. And I'm Hayden Jones. I should probably add my last name in there. Since probably. You did. It sounds more professional. Yeah, Hayden Jones. That yeah. sound like a Stan Grant. <laughs> too serious, too far the other way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had a great chat uh in this episode with a very unique and inspiring individual yeah. by the name of Space Cowboy. Yeah, inspired me to go home and stick some cutlery through my cheeks and armpits. Why not? Um, yeah, that was before we even spoke to Shane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, he was a really interesting character, man. I mean, was he 55 Guinness World Records, something like that, and a, a really broad audience uh, from, you know, the circus world through to, you know, families that watch uh, Australia's Got Talent and things. I actually mentioned to my uh, 10-year-old stepson, Hunter, that we interviewed him and he was really excited. He was like, what? You met the Space Cowboy? I said, you know this guy? Yeah, I've seen him on television. So mm. I think um, what he does is so so out there to most people. I mean, he talks about it in the most matter-of-fact, everyday kind of nature, but it's when you... When That's you, what struck me. Is yeah. We were sitting there and we're talking about, you know, what do you do? In, in, and it's like talking to a, a a carpenter going, oh, yeah, I just, you know, built a house the other day. And he's going, I just swallowed 27 swords yeah, and, and stuck, I rotated them in my... Stuck hooks in my eye sockets and dragged a cart full of people um, behind me. And when yeah. I was, so anyway, when I was doing that gig and you're like, oh, <laughs> what just yeah. came out of your mouth? Yeah, totally. it's, uh, it's really um, just an insight into a whole nother niche world that um, I guess your average person really has little awareness that it, it exists and, and, and little opportunity to engage with. So, And I think if you know of Space Cowboy, you'll learn a lot more about him and, and his uh, background and career and how he got into it and all the many other interests that he has. Uh, yeah. And and it's quite quite amazing what he what he's into and the and the many different facets to his kind of career and work and and projects that he's working on, um, but also at the same time, if you've never heard of Space Cowboy and and who he is and what he does, it'll equally be interesting for you because um, yeah, I I can certainly imagine there's a lot of people that don't even know that someone like him exists and can make a, a full career for 20 plus years that's it traveling the world doing what he's done and the method to his madness you know we all um express ourselves and contribute to the world in different ways and and when you hear him talk about what he does it's um it's as rational as anything you know the way he 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 kind of frames it and thinks about it and how he's ended up living this extraordinary life. Mm. I was particularly interested too when we got into a bit more of the philosophy behind mm. why he does what he does. Yeah. And I think that's um, hopefully what you'll all find interesting when you listen to the episode, that he, he kind of, there is a, a method to his madness. Mm. Um, it's not just random acts of uh, self-masochism. It's, mm. uh, it's a lot more than that and there's a lot of thought that goes into why he makes the art that he makes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, here it is, our chat with uh, Shane, a- a.k.a. the Space Cowboy. Enjoy. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, please go back and listen to some of the other episodes. 
and make sure you subscribe to uh, the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it. And if you can give us a rating and leave a review, um, that stuff's really helpful, particularly for a small new podcast like us. Um, So please do that, share it with your friends and um, enjoy the episode. Thanks, Shane, for uh, joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. And um, it's a, a real privilege to be here in your awesome art gallery. And um, maybe that's a good place to start, actually, because, I mean, we knew about you, as you were just saying, as a, as a sort of a circus performer, as, as you say, is the easiest way to describe what you do. But yet we're sitting here in a gallery with all of your paintings on the wall. So yeah. how, did, how, did, how did that come about? Well, I, yeah, so I've been performing all around the world for, since I was like 16. I started traveling around Australia doing street shows and then uh, 17 went to the UK and been constantly touring and just focusing on performance. And in that time, so I quite often uh, used a paintbrush to like paint jackets or some banners for the shows. And then uh, when the pandemic hit, all the gigs were cancelled and I didn't know what to do with myself for the first few weeks and then was like, uh, I can't just <laughs> sit around doing, that, doing gardening. So I yeah, picked up a paintbrush and started painting some boards and then got a bunch of canvases and just went, went crazy on it. And um, so, yeah, before the pandemic, I'd never painted on a canvas. So I just kind of, like, yeah, within the first, like, couple of months, I, <laughs> I just went... I have to say, yeah. for the people who aren't sitting where we're sitting, like, that's hilarious to think that, because, like, we're, <laughs> this is some serious, like, this looks like I'm sitting in someone's gallery that's been doing this their whole entire life. Like, this is They're incredible. Amazing. But you can see the, um, definitely see the influence of the sort of the world you've come from, um, you're obviously known in the circus world as the Space Cowboy. I remember I f- first saw you, I think, at some point on television um, during the days when you were with the Happy Sideshow. And so I think a, lo- a lot of people have seen you at some point um, in-, in the media or at a festival. Um, and-, and I guess you come from that world. I mean, you've got a range of things going on, freak, a, f- a touring freak show exhibition. And uh, talk a little bit about the sort of the diverse a range of things that you've sort of had your hand in over the years before you got to this. Uh, yeah, so, so I started as a street performer, which got me traveling all around the world, then started doing festivals and the, yeah, the festival touring scene is like pretty amazing. Like, uh, yeah, there's some really good street performing festivals and kind of music festivals that incorporate circus and street theater and stuff like that. So there's um, a really good like kind of tour that like a regular kind of tour that I always go on and some festivals I've been to you know like 20 or 30 times and and then uh yes so I've at at some of the arts festivals like at um, Adelaide Fringe Festival I run uh, two venues one's called um, Deja Voodoo which is a freak show cabaret where we've got a collection of human oddities performing mm-hmm. unusual acts. It's a rotating cast, so which is so it's kind of like a continuous show. But each show is only twenty five minutes. But when we 
so when, when, when we finish the show, the audience leaves and the, the performers walk around to the front. I'm at the front juggling chainsaws, cracking whips on a microphone, gathering the next crowd and using the people exiting the tent to keep the hype going. And then so we can do up to you know, um, 18 shows on a Saturday on wow. the busiest Con- day. Consecutively, like yeah, back to back to yeah, back, back to back. Yeah, back to back to back. And so we've got a rotating cast. So we've got... Um, so the lizard man is in most of the shows is the tattooed green guy from Austin, Texas tattooed his entire body with green reptilian scales. Mm -hmm. He's got implants in his skull and teeth filed down to sharp points and oh yeah, his tongue split in two like that of a lizard. And, uh, so he's an amazing performer and he is like the co-host of that show. And then we've got, um, the dwarf strongman, um, Goliath, who's an Australian, uh, mini strongman. And we've got snake charmers, fire eaters, uh, sword swallowers, contortionists and all that kind of stuff. And so we, yes. So yeah, the lizard man and I definitely work the hardest in that show because we're in most of them. But apart from that, we, we mix all the other performers up so they get more of a break. Uh, and then beside that, uh, um, for quite a few years, we've had uh, the Mutant Barnyard, which is my freak animal exhibit, which is uh, the largest collection of mutated oddities in the Southern Hemisphere. So we've got... What's, um, a, what do you, what's a mutated oddity? <laughs> uh, well, I've got two uh, uh, two-headed cows. One's this full-body taxi- taxidermy. Another one's a, a head mount. Um, that one's Daisy and Maisie. It's like nearly 150 years old. I've got a bunch of um, Siamese twin um, calf skulls, a couple of cyclops calf skulls, and then rows of pigs in jars of Siamese twins, double faces, double bodies, um, the octo pig, eight-legged pig, like all sorts of <laughs> kind of... Uh, and, then, and then heaps of chickens, Siamese twin chickens and uh, quails and uh, full-grown two-headed turkey with three legs, taxidermy, that one's from Perth. Um, all those kind of, yeah, unusual wow. uh, creatures. How, how long have you been collecting those for? Uh, I started, well... well when I got into the freak show, so in '98, uh, I believe it was, I was inspired by the Kamikaze freak show. Which uh, so we, uh, Captain Frodo, the incredible Norwegian rubber man, and I, we were doing street shows, and uh, and Shep Huntley, we were travelling around from Amsterdam and went to Edinburgh Festival, and then we saw this this show, and and Frodo and I left with that show, started touring around with them, and uh, that was really freaky. It was like uh, quite an inspiration kind of career change of um yeah it was very yeah the the main guy who was the host of that show was john kamikaze and his costume every night was 350 hat pins and hypodermic needles that were cut like all through his flesh and uh just completely covered and then comes out and puts kebab skewers through his face and nails himself to a cross and he's doing this every night you know and uh, it was yeah quite amazing we had a hermaphrodite pinky pinky who's uh, was our accordion player we had a, um, a, a penile phenomenon, which is uh, uh, who was a dwarf who pulled uh, a, uh, pulled a volunteer across the stage. I'm um, sitting on an office chair with his with his uh, penis, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was a pretty crazy show, and but it was quite dark as well. Like it was. Um, were those guys from Coney Island? Or? No, that was um, his, his um, f- from Glasgow. Yeah, John's from Glasgow, and uh, it was quite. It ended up being quite an international cast, but yeah, it was, um, it was yeah, European and and yeah, Scottish, mm-hmm. and and then so from that, like that was such a dark show. I mean, I, I loved it, and the, a lot of the content, even though it was really dark, there was quite a quite a bit of you know theatre and humour and and all that, but it was very dark, and so. 
uh, we kind of so Frodo and I kind of um, left that show and, and met up with Shep and we're like we want to do something like this but make it really positive so then we made uh, the happy side show which was kind of putting a you know a, a smile on a on the old sideshow stunts and that w- was a really successful show did uh, three seasons at the Sydney Opera House and heaps of festivals all around the world and that was a lot of fun and uh, yeah so so that's kind of what got me into the freak show world and then I started collecting uh, you know just kind of old freak show memorabilia and old postcards and then I uh, got my first uh, taxidermy um, ditto, the two, uh, double-bodied duckling uh, with one head wow. and two bodies. And then from then I just got obsessed and then just... So these are all uh, real, real just kind of Yeah, I've got a collection of, um, of, of uh, gaffs, slideshow gaffs as well, which, which include the, like the Fiji mermaid, which was the oh, Barnum, Barnum's famous Fiji mermaid was actually burned in the museum fire, but... Uh, that was one of his most famous attractions, um, apart from Tom Thumb and a few others. But uh, the Fiji mermaid was a monkey uh, t- a taxidermied with a tail of a fish. So it was, a, it was just a, a hoax, but quite a beautiful specimen that mm. was convincing enough to, uh, to sell right. a lot of tickets. Well, right. <laughs> so I've got a collection of uh, yeah, Fiji mermaids and a bunch of gaffs like this as well, but also a very large collection of uh, real uh, Siamese twins and right. uh, conjoined and they're just like all, as the name suggests just odd you know like either genetic uh, mutations or like kind of uh, or have yeah, they been yeah, kind yeah. of engineered yeah, to they have no no, uh, no I have no um, en- <laughs> no lab, lab created yeah. uh, <laughs> no like oh I mean I'd love to get like the, the mouse with, a, with an ear gr- human ear growing on its back yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I don't have anything like that yeah. I have got um, actually in the post coming, coming from Adelaide right now is a cyclops lamb so they just wow. kind of the more I collect, the more people contact me and tell me about things that that are that, that have popped up around the place. So, so you got farmers around the country yeah. that go, "Slam's got a cyclops eye. We know who to call." Yes, space yeah, cowboy. Exactly. We got a yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there a story when you started collecting um, the oddities of someone who had a collection who'd been sitting somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So I was just about to say that actually. Yeah. So, so after. Um, running this show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, this museum show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival for quite a few years, I had a, a phone call from someone saying, uh, we've got this old um, freak show trailer that we want to sell. And oh, so backtrack a little bit. Um, we, when I was in the Happy Side Show, we met this really old guy who uh, told us about all these, these freak shows that he brought back from America, these trailer shows that he had. And uh, and he worked with like Priscilla, the monkey woman, and um, her husband was Emmett, the alligator skin man, two famous sideshow performers, uh, well, kind of sideshow, they were sideshow freaks. They weren't really performers, but they were, you would pay your money, you'd go in, and they would tell you about their life, their life story. So I guess, so they are performers, yeah. Um, but anyway, so he was telling me about, telling us about all, all these kind of, uh, trailers and freak show um, experiences that he's, that he's had and, and then we all went back to his place and he showed us all the photos and newspaper clippings and it was kind of really cool to see, you know, proper you know, freak show history in Australia which is quite quite rare. Because, what, what era are we talking, like, when uh, that was well, happening? Uh, 19, 19 th- th- oh, this trailer was w- w- that I ended up buying was, was, uh, was made in the 1930s. Wow. And it was called That's Incredible and 
so I recognized it from the photos and actually I've still got some of the old newspaper clippings with the photo of the trailer with the That's Incredible on the front mm. and inside there was oh, when I when I first saw it I arrived at this property not knowing what to expect and and there it was the you know that that's incredible the the pictures on the sides I knew exactly what it was and I had a really good idea of what was inside as well and there was a, a full-bodied um, two-headed kangaroo taxidermy uh, lots of Siamese twin pigs uh, yeah all sorts of crazy stuff there was one giant taxidermy which was about maybe seven foot tall which is it was called the what is it and it's a uh, it's actually, yeah, if you ask what it is, they're like, yep, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. is it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but actually, it, I did find out what it was. It's a, it's a Great Dane, but a really big Great Dane, uh, standing up and with no, no ears, and it's got a bear's jaw inside its mouth. So its head's quite distorted around this really large bear's jaw, and it's standing up, and it kind of looks a bit like a, like a, between a, a weasel and a kangaroo, but this giant creature that when you look at it, you just you don't know what it is. You just go, "What is it?" Yeah. So <laughs> they've a, built that intentionally as a, as a, as a showpiece. Yeah, yeah, that was the, a gaff, as yeah, if it was. A, yeah, as that's, if, that's a sidechain yeah, right. gaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So. You know, you've you've got all these. Uh, how many Guinness World Records? You're forty something. Uh, fifty five. Guinness, fifty five now, yeah. and they include. Uh, I think you swallowed twenty seven swords at once. Yeah, my personal best is twenty nine swords. I did that on a TV show uh, called The World's Best in in America. That's insane. Yeah. Like, how, how do you literally fit that many blades? Well, well into actually, your... when I did that, um, uh, the hosts of that show. Um, uh, were, were, uh, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much freaked out. It was really, it was because uh, uh, I, I tried something I'd never done on television before. Not only did I break the record for swallowing uh, by swallowing twenty nine swords, uh, when, as I pulled them out, I twisted them all around. I oh. uh, did a yeah full three sixty spin, swallowed them back around, <laughs> did a bow, and then pulled them all out. Oh my gosh! And, uh, <laughs> yeah. They were like, we're going to witness someone killing themselves on, yeah. on on tv yeah that's, yeah that's probably much. what they were well, thinking well, uh, as they well drew barrymore it. she was she was one of the hosts she uh, oh, she completely she? completely yeah, right. flipped wow yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you do all these incredible and, uh, paul was another one yeah he um but he was he, uh, he had some pretty funny comments which, yeah <laughs> which I as can you imagine. can imagine yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you do like a lot of like self-sacrificing a lot of stuff related to pain and then obviously you're touring freak show stuff and there's I guess they're tied together with a theme but do you remember like if you go way back to like as a kid or whenever that happened what sparked your interest to go what was the first time you went I'm gonna fucking hurt myself in front of people for their entertainment that's uh that's that's <laughs> me that's my path or, or was there something in you that resonated with with uh, uh, the freaks or well, the I was or? I was already in that world because, so my my dad was a gymnast and a uh, and he was a um just a amateur juggler it taught me to juggle uh well my sisters and i we all did gymnastics and there was a little kid circus that was in town i think there was only like five of us in the in the class but um did that once a week and then we ended up going street performing and uh, i was already doing my own little busking which was which only included riding around the local markets um, with on a unicycle then i'd stop and juggle a bunch of different objects with a hat on the ground but people would chuck money in my hat and so i knew i was onto something good so i just kept kept going from there so then to get in uh, to be uh, my interest in kind of the more freaky things uh i remember seeing a circus which um pulled up in town uh i think it was in lismore i'm not sure i was pretty young but one of the acts was was a 
a human pincushion act, which is quite unusual for a trad circus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my, my thoughts are there was like the Moscow Circus or something, but I think, yeah, I think, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a big circus, or at least it was in my mind as a kid. And, one of the, and that act was just like, yeah, he did some fire eating and then did all these skewers. And I was like, whoa, that is, <laughs> that's crazy. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really love all kind of the physical uh, circus as well, like acrobatics and you know, contortion and all that kind of thing. And so I just kind of, I like the idea of just, you know, mixing everything together and making really good entertainment. Mm. What was the first, like in that genre of freak acts that you personally did yourself uh, well, I started training for sword swallowing when I was maybe uh, late 17, maybe 18 years old. Wow. So, um, but it, was, it wasn't until, uh, until a few years later that it was in, in any performance kind of quality. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always been into magic and things like that. And you can bl- magic and, and kind of freak show stunts, can, the, the lines can be a bit blurred as well because... Yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, the same with circus and freak show and illusion. They can all be mixed together to, to make some amazing acts. And, um, mm. yeah, so my interest has been mm. with those mm. all my life. Yeah. Did you have a teacher or in terms of the sword swallowing, had you seen someone and went, I'm going to do that? Or is it all sort of self-taught? Uh, uh, it was at the beginning, it was self-taught. Um, and then after joining the Kamikaze Freak Show, there was, there was a sword swallower in that show, uh, Sebastian Vitterini, who at the time he was uh, performing an act called Wasp Boy and he would wear a, a corset and make, uh, restraining his waist right, quite considerably, which is quite an um, unusual uh, thing for a sword swallower to do when you mm. want um, <laughs> you, you know, you to have as much room down there as possible for all the blades to go. Um, yeah, he d- he did an amazing act. Every night he would swallow um, swallow five swords one at a time, and then bow and twist the swords in his throat. He yeah did like heaps of really cool uh, sword swallowing acts, and um, and we're still really good friends now. Actually, we he is my Tesla coil builder. So uh, after he kind of he he stopped sword swallowing uh, oh, quite a few years ago now, and got into high voltage electricity. And, um, and I saw so that, that act, act on Australia's Got Talent. Is that what you? Yeah, well, that's doing? the act you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah with the thimbles yeah, on their so fingers. Yeah, he's made me quite a few uh, different Tesla coils now, which which have been a lot of fun. Right. And I got as a, in Nikola a Guinness Tesla World, Guinness World Record for for one of those as well. Uh, 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 yeah, well, Nikola Tesla in um, 1890 invented the Tesla coil, mm-hmm. and which is named after himself, which is basically a high voltage transformer where you just up the voltage so much that the electricity can spray out into the air. And so people have been performing with um, Tesla coils for, for like ever since. And but anyone who works with like really high voltage, like you know, 500,000 volts, a million volts, they wear a full body metal suit, a Faraday cage to protect their body. And because if you... Uh, ground yourself from the electricity yeah the idea is you yeah if the electricity goes from the tesla coil into your body it would ground itself and you would be fried immediately unless you're wearing a faraday cage which makes the electricity go around the the suit um so then uh sebastian uh basically found found out that um nikola tesla did first perform this act 
uh, with nowhere near as high voltage as what we're doing it now, but um, without a Faraday suit, um, standing on a, on a plate which is connected to the coil and shot the electricity out of his fingertips. And no one really had done this since then. So, wow. so he made some Tesla coils which were tuned to my body mass. And so the electricity is, yeah, literally goes all the way. So I stand on top of this. So but all it is is a high voltage transformer, big bucket on top with copper coils. So it's like a high pressure hose for electricity. So uh, 240 volts goes in and a million volts sprays out the top. And when I stand on the top, uh, it's, yeah, the frequency is perfect for my body mass. So it all just sprays out my fingertips. If I put my arms by my side and swallow a sword while I'm standing on top, then the, the electricity sprays out the top of a sword uh, just over a meter uh, streams of electrical sparks. And this, you, you're probably not going to tell us the true answer if, there, if it is <laughs> a true answer, but it's, it's, this, like, this is not trickery. When you said you blur the lines between magic oh, no, and is, real, this, this is, is 100% actually... Real. Yeah, yeah. How much yeah. sort of medical advice do you get with, with acts like this before you go ahead and... Uh, or do you just, get in, you just get in the rehearsal studio and go, all right... Crank it up. Let's uh, give it a go. Well, well, like with any of the stunts that I perform, you you know you start slow and you build it up from there. Yeah. If you yeah, if you just go as hard as you can the first time, then you probably won't get many chances. Yeah. So, so do you find you have a sort of like an athlete type approach to what you do? I mean, really, in some ways, you know, how different is it to somebody who's um, you know trying to hunt, run the hundred meter in sub ten? Sort of you're testing the extremes of what the human body is is capable of and i mean it's probably easy from the outside to look at someone like yourself and think wow what a what a crazy bastard but it's it's obviously a lot more than that right uh yeah i i think you've got to be you know you've got to have a certain type of crazy to attempt some of these things in the first place but but yeah you've got to start slow and um yeah i guess yeah they're 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 trained skills and also when i first uh, stood on the the one million volt Tesla coil, uh, so Sebastian cranked it up to maybe twenty percent. Uh, the sparks started coming out of my coming out of my shoulders, my fingers, and and I was like, turn it off, turn it off. Uh, it was kind of unbearable, and but I knew that that I wanted to do it, and I knew that if it's tuned right to the frequency of my body, then uh, then it wouldn't damage my body. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to see how far it could go. So I so just kept so uh, is it going a little bit more, a little bit more, and, until eventually I'm at full power. And now we've made, made one which is, uh, which is about 20% more powerful, which is in the UK, which was about to debut at, at Glastonbury Festival until the pandemic mm. hit. So <laughs> wow. And is it, do you, now that you've got it kind of dialed in like mm. that, do you, do you said that for the first time you were like, fuck, turn it off, but... It, is there any pain at all now? Uh, yeah, it is, it is painful, yeah. yeah. But yeah. You've, you've just but, but built yeah, up a tolerance to that or something? Yeah, you build up a tolerance. It's the same as so, um, if I'm hanging from hooks in my back or picking, uh, dragging uh, six girls in a, in a cart with hooks in my eyes. You, know, you, you get used to these things to the point where uh, you know that... But it's not... So if, if I was uh, you know, walking down the street and I kicked my foot on a on a rock I would go ah shit like anyone else and mm-hmm. um, it would hurt and I wouldn't like it mm. but in a performance you know if you if you're ready for it and you you know that it's for a purpose and and you've you've trained for it enough that you know that 
you're not actually damaging yourself. Mm. So like when I, mm. when I started, um, you know, lifting weights with hooks in my eyes, I knew, uh, I knew that um, I started with, you know, really small weights and then I uh, get bigger and bigger and, and I was building up scar tissue on the, on, the back of, on the back of the eye socket. So not only does it become less painful, but you just get really accustomed to it. So, mm. Do you have any yeah. kind of techniques for, like, do you, do you meditate? Do you do breathing exercises? Do you have any techniques for either getting into a particular mindset or managing the pain in the moment? Uh, yeah, I do have techniques, but I've always just been really good at uh, just staying calm. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's just part of the, that, that's kind of the main thing. As long as you stay calm and you know that, uh, everything will be all right. It's amazing what you can endure, mm-hmm. like endure and and you know and deal with. Just like it mm. sounds like it's a, quite a calculated risk. You know, you, the the way you prepare both physically, but mentally, and 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 the way you incrementally build up to these things. It, it's like you've there's a genuine risk and a genuine discomfort and pain, uh, but it's calculated to a point. Like I think that must for me. I can imagine that idea of going. Like, if I know it's painful, but I'm still safe, like I'm not doing actual damage, I think that would be a a key thing, you know, because then it's a kind of a test of will and and calmness and and being able to overcome it on some sort of psychological level as well, I'd imagine. It's it's amazing how painful something can be, though, without, without, if you are not stressed about it, it it changes the, the sensation. So it suddenly it's still painful but it's not a bad pain it's just a rush have, have so you guess, done vipassana yeah. meditation before do you know no, i haven't yeah. no i've heard of it I, yeah so when mm. you do vipassana meditation they they taught one of the first things they teach you is about pain and they, they sort of encourage you to yeah. kind of not move away from the pain but rather to lean into the pain and redefine change your definition of pain because they go well what is pain and if you keep listening to the pain so you're sitting there for hours and hours and your knee starts kind of screaming at you that you just focus on the sensation and 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 i found when i did that that it changed from this gross it starts as this global sort of idea of pain but then you focus on it and you go okay is it heat is it tension is it tingling is it so you get more and more specific about your definition of what that sensation is to the point where it just becomes a sensation like any other sensation like you might feel the breeze over your face and you feel your knee tingling or you feel your back kind of getting yeah, stiff yeah. but you don't you don't associate it as painful that so it kind of really taught me that this like pain is actually like more of a concept in the mind it doesn't exist in its own sense it's just the sensation hot cold stabbing you know tightness whatever yeah, yeah. and and we just by convenience we just call it pain that's like the convenient yeah. way to do it, but you can get to get through yeah. that. So that's yeah, a good way of a good way of saying it. I can relate to that for mm. sure. Yeah, that's yeah. as you were talking. That's what the first thing that came to me. I was like, "This sounds mm. like sounds like the agony of vipassana," but yeah, yeah. it only lasts a couple of days, and then you, if you can persevere and get through that by yeah. by day seven, you're sitting there. Day for, seven, they put the hooks in your eyes. Yeah, yeah, you go, okay, <laughs> you're comfortable sitting there for fourteen hours. Now, yeah. now try this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel do you feel a pressure to like because once you've got a profile uh, as a circus performer uh, like yourself, people then it, their expectation of what they're going to see when they come and see your act right changes. <laughs> like now they know you're going to do something 
really extreme and crazy mm-hmm. and do you feel the pressure to keep kind of always one-upping yourself and pushing the envelope more and, yeah. and, and can that be a, a, a trap? Uh, well, that's part of what keeps me really interested in what, what I do is I guess I wouldn't really want to just be doing the same act that I did since, since I was a kid, you know, like it's, you've got to always kind of reinvent yourself and, and you know, your, your body changes, life, life experiences cha- change you and, and so you've got, to, you've got to keep changing and developing as you go along. Mm. Um, yes, I, I'm, I guess as well, I, I'm obsessed with what I do. So, and I guess that's the same with any artist. You, the only reason you can succeed at it is because you're going above and beyond and doing... Do, thinking about it every day doing do working on it every day and coming up with ideas or making new props and um yeah so even even during the pandemic i've been you know making keeping creating making not just paintings but making new props so i've, I've got a i've got two big new escape acts that i've just made which uh, i'm pretty excited about which i haven't performed yet so one's this big aerial escape with swinging chainsaws and Another one's this electric chair escape with a you know, with a Tesla coil that shoots lightning bolts at the head of the chair and all these arrows that shoot into the chair. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of using all the all the props from <laughs> from our other shows and kind of re- kind of rethinking it. How can I make this into a whole new whole new act? So I've got all these um, arrow uh, all these bow and arrows which I've set up on tripods. So oh. So I'll backtrack. Okay. I'll backtrack a little bit here. So, um, so for the for the last uh, like maybe five years, I've been performing a blindfolded arrow catching, mm-hmm. and so I and I got the, a couple of Guinness World Records for it as well. The the um, most targets hit uh, while blindfolded, the most um, or the the fastest um, arrow caught uh, with the bare hands, and uh, with the bare hand one one hand and the most arrows caught in two minutes while blindfolded. And um, so I've been performing this act, so I've done it on a bunch of TV shows all around the world, um, which is I, 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 I put a blindfold on and I've got to hit a target on the other side of the stage, which um, it has an electronic trigger on it. And once it's hit, it shoots another arrow uh, right next to me, which hits another target, which has an electronic trigger, which shoots another one. So it's like this domino effect of arrows. And then so basically I shoot the arrow, it goes do-do-do-do, and the last one comes shooting straight at me, and I've got to uh, dodge out of the way and catch the arrow with my bare hand. And uh, so anyway, so I have all these kind of arrow shooters that I made, these tripod uh, shooters, which turns normal bow and arrows into kind of like crossbows. Um, and so now I've kind of re, reworked them into a, an escape act with an electric chair and just kind of, yeah, I guess it's just about always just kind of keeping yourself on your toes. And and, to and no archery background for you? <laughs> no. No. no so I, you just I, had this idea? I started, and yeah, I started, um, I started archery because I knew I wanted to learn to catch an arrow <laughs> blindfolded. Yeah, so I, so I started like the with a tennis ball shooting way. machine before. Wow. Yeah, so to learn that, I, yeah, it's a tennis ball shooting machine, um, and they they go pretty fast actually, and they can hurt if the, if it goes yeah. wrong. And then went from from that to uh, bow and arrows, but with a big rubber tip on the end. And then it wasn't until the first performance that I took the the rubber tip off and did it in a show. Really, yeah. in front yeah. of an audience. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever have you ever had an, had an idea for an act and you you haven't been able to pull it off and you've had to sort of abandon the idea? 
Uh, many. Yeah. <laughs> many, many, yeah. I've, I've built the whole kind of props and never be, never quite got there to use it, kind of just realised actually. Uh, but then also by the time you, by the time I got there, then it's like I've got another idea. <laughs> so, right. So there's always so too many ideas. It splits to, off and becomes something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, and then I'll use the bits from that prop that never got eventuated and make it into something else so is there one that sort of and maybe you don't want to talk about it because then someone else out there might steal <laughs> your idea but is there one that sort of stands out as like one day i'm going to get that trick uh oh there's so many i've, I've actually got uh, because i've been so inspired by you know ripley's believe it or not over the years and guinness book of records and kind of which is like really kind of got me making kind of really unusual acts I've actually got, at the moment, I've got probably maybe 200 open Guinness World Record applications. Uh, so so I've, these are records that, uh, that I know, or that I've worked on, I've got the props ready, I've, I know that I can do them as soon as someone's you know, ready to have me on their show to break that record. Or, uh, wow. Are yeah. you, uh, is your end goal, ultimately I get a sense that you, do you want to be the the? Do you want to hold the most Guinness World, or do you already? Is there uh, anyone no, who holds no, more um, than you? I, uh, it, it would be it would be uh, nice. Uh, it, yeah, uh, it's it, that's not for me though. I I think if uh, nowadays in order to get the Guinness World Record for the most Guinness World Records, <laughs> so I don't know if, if it's still Ashrita Furman from America. Uh, he had like two hundred and fifty records. Yeah. Um, but if I was going to break his record, then uh, you'd kind of have to uh, go for all the really stupid records, like the furthest distance distance to blow a postage stamp, and yeah, stuff like that. he's and got I, like, like the <laughs> juggle, the egg balancing like egg and spoon longest yeah, distance, yeah. like running a marathon you know, with an egg and spoon. Although they're fun, like. they're not really my style, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I yeah. might just leave that to him and, yeah. and stick yeah. with the actually I do know that guy. Stunts. Yeah, yeah. What do you think people get out of? The type of acts you do like what drives you what do you think uh how do you think it maybe inspires people or yeah well yeah i was going to ask a similar question like along the same vein is like do you do you is it entertain like in your mind do you go i'm an entertainer i'm doing this for or is it something about that the viewer the audience is just uh a bit more like an athlete going i can't believe this is like an act a mm. physical act that I just want to watch this because I don't believe that this person can physically do this? Or is it somewhere in the middle where it's both of those things? Uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, probably probably in the middle. I like to create shock and, and awe at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, yeah, I've always loved the reaction from, from audience members when I do something extreme, something shocking. And I guess that's when you get the the most, you know, uh, extreme reactions from an audience. They, uh, you know, the, they, and as long as it's presented in the right way, then they still want to watch it. So, mm. you know, they're hiding the behind their fingers, but they're still peeking through the gaps kind of thing. And does that, yeah. you must think, when you're designing a new act, how much thought goes into the, the experience for the audience and what they're how they're going to potentially view this uh, or oh yeah a, a lot because i guess i'm a, i'm a commercial entertainer i only want to do things that really uh would people would want to buy tickets for i don't i don't want to do anything that that people aren't interested in <laughs> yeah um so uh, so uh, for, for instance so this um 
this big aerial escape act that I've just made. Um, it, at the beginning, it had a sword. Oh, so it's, it's a big cross, metal cross that I get chained to, and it's got uh, a, few, a few bits and pieces throughout, throughout the way where, uh, anyway, I've got to escape. This big rig gets lowered down, it um, clips onto the cross, it all gets lifted into the air. Um, there's an angle grinder chopping through a chain which releases the chainsaws so I've got to get out in time. But at the beginning when I was practicing it, I had a sword welded to the, to the bottom of this rig. So as it gets lowered down, it pushes it down my throat. And so um, I'm trying to escape from all these chains while the blade's getting forced down my throat from this kind of a heavy um, metal contraption above my head. And, uh, and then it all gets lifted into the air. And um, so... And it was quite intense. So I, I did it a few times, and and I, you know, I could do it, um, but the reactions that I got from uh, I invited a few people to come over and tell me what they think, and they all thought it was a bit too intense. <laughs> so <laughs> so so I've taken out the sword and added a few other uh, uh, different escape bits, which are which are in in the act now. And so although there's still, it's still intense and, you know, uh, makes you kind of hold your seat as you're watching it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a fine line, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's yeah. A, between little kids yeah. going home and sticking needles in their eyes or jamming yeah. a fork in a power plant yeah. or something like that. And I guess as well because, um, I mean, the industry that I'm in, so I, I perform, you know, sideshow acts and freak show acts. So, and a lot of, like, you know, it's, it's a, it can be quite a niche uh, mm. audience and like there's kind of it, it's a, it, I guess it's um it's, it's there's a lot of us globally but it is it is quite a niche kind of community but uh, many of the performers who, who do sideshow uh, even I find it hard to watch <laughs> their acts you know um, like if they're too intense if they don't have enough humor if they don't uh, if they aren't presented in the right way, then it's just grotesque without any anything appealing about it. So you, you think, think that's what so Happy Sideshow was so successful because I guess people left, yeah, uh, entertained yeah, but yeah. feeling good. Yeah, it was it was like and although it was an extreme show, uh, you know, almost any anyone could go there and go, okay, I, I didn't really like what they did to themselves, but I enjoyed the show. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How do you think that informs like? You know, obviously, it's a very unique, as you were just saying, it's a, it's a niche kind of, it's art, you know, but it's a very niche kind of form of art. And um, do you sort of think about what that, how that influences people's view of themselves or obviously their view of you or their appreciation of your talent? But what do you, do you think about what your art does in terms of when someone sees that, what that makes them think about humanity or themselves or on a lack of philosophic I guess, yeah I guess I, I like to you know encourage people to you know believe if you know that anything's possible and if you know if people like me can do things that they you know couldn't conceive possible before then uh, you know it doesn't mean that you know they should try doing some of the crazy things that I do but maybe they'll take more risks in their day-to-day lives which you know, it's only through risk that you that you can achieve your goals. Mm, that's beautiful. That's really, yeah. I I think that that's what I would take from it. Um, you know, just that appreciation of what human capacity. You know, like what we we often limit ourselves and think like, ah, oh, that's you know, there's no way I could do that. But 
it's not until you really go well have you tried and or you yeah, or yeah. You maybe maybe your threshold is much higher than you think it is i think you're the kind of you and other performers that do what you do are, are the ultimate kind of personification of that idea of going well if you do things incrementally and you mm. and you put your mind to it or you know uh that you might surprise yourself how what you can do actually yeah and also we we live in a very kind of padded world where we're you know we're told from from very from very young to be careful of everything and mm. uh you know don't don't take chances and i guess yeah what what i've found is you know if you can take chances but you just need to uh you know make educated risks as you were saying that's mm. you know everything is a risk and uh yeah as long as you prepare and you know it's all about preparation really at, at the end of the day and if if you're confident and and prepared then you can do anything i oh, just um yeah wondering about whether now that you've been on this journey with your artwork um whether you're gonna jump straight back in like if the you know when <laughs> hopefully the borders are yeah, yeah. whether you're gonna jump straight back into that touring world and pushing those extremes in you know in terms of those feats and um records and, and that sort of extreme stuff that you've been doing with your body or whether you feel like oh actually now i've been doing this I yeah i i have uh very much enjoyed the 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 new pace of the pandemic which is which has brought into my life has kind of changed changed a lot of things although i would like to you know keep doing my world tours and all that but i have enjoyed being at home a lot more and i've enjoyed you know being able to take the time to you know paint or do do other things uh, i guess i'm still obsessed with with show ideas and and coming up with new concepts and props and yeah so I, I i will always do that and i'm ready to go back uh to doing shows as soon as, soon as it's there it uh yeah it doesn't look like um the world will be the same as what it was <laughs> i think that's something about artists though that a lot of artists that i know something that strikes me as unique to whatever art form they choose is that more so than a lot of other people the ability to adapt you know that there's so many artists i can think of that since the pandemic have have had to really quite drastically rethink and reimagine yeah, themselves yeah. and their 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 what they do and and it strikes me that because by the very nature of what we do as artists and be as creative you know thinkers that it it it's almost prepared us better i know a lot of artists across the board have been suffering as a result of the mm. pandemic but the flip side of that is i think we're better equipped to deal with having to adapt radically to a, yeah. a new normal well, yeah, you know more than yeah yeah yeah, yeah, cause yeah. You, either better equipped or we just um we have to out of survival i think artists it's it's sort of maybe maybe more than other occupations it's less what we do and connect, more connected to who we are and so that that creativity has to express itself in one way or another or you just get really really depressed really quickly right mm. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's such a, an interesting time where we're at at the moment i guess i just feel so lucky to have had those times you know like uh, i've done maybe, oh, i don't know like over 20 glastonbury festivals and 
been to Burning Man Festival a few times and just like all the amazing places and you know it, yeah it's just amazing that you know I had that opportunity I've, I've my daughter's uh, eight years old now and she's been been to nine different countries and you know it's it was just such a gift to have that um, and I think it's going to be a long time before we were talking yeah, about we'll that the other day mm. about mm. you know the kids growing up these days that there's going to be a lot that there's going to be a, a period of time in our human history where where uh, kids didn't the concept of traveling to another country is like what okay. yeah yeah that's that's a that's a very alien thing my son's 18 mm. um and luckily you know we got a chance to travel with him a, a lot when he was younger and, and got to go to a lot of different countries but you know that's all put on it's hold the traveling and, and also the exchanges you get you know and that's and also a rites of passage as well you turn 18 or whatever yeah, age when you leave home here. it's like okay i'm going traveling i want to go overseas but yeah, that's that's yeah from the past <laughs> yeah but what a what a remarkable life you've had so far and and i mean i guess this the strange thing with um being a live performer is the ephemeral nature of it you know it's sort of gone you can't show me an experience you had at Glastonbury where you know you had goosebumps and you knew in that moment Mm. this is something I'm going to remember when I'm an old man you know this is really special Um, um, but you have to I guess believe that on some level that 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 has counted for something and the ripple effect of that is um, it although immeasurable Mm. it's very real and it's out there in the world Yeah, and I guess that's why I mean I, I love that about you know performance art that it is yeah as soon as it's done it doesn't exist anymore you know that is quite a beautiful thing it's kind of like graffiti in a way isn't it it's like you put it up there but anyone can paint over it at any moment um but also it's quite uh yeah i love it and and hate it like and so that's why i kind of on the last you know quite a few years i've been focusing on television and then trying to you know get as many tv shows under my belt and uh, just to, to kind of archive and uh, get some really cool footage of all the different variations of stunts that I have created and love to perform. Yeah, because um, I guess that that thing of it becoming kind of like like folklore is is big in the circus and the the freak show world. You know, like I, I think I saw this guy do this crazy thing, and you had to be there, and it becomes a story that gets told and shared around. But I guess you do hit this sort of point. Like we feel it as theatre performers as well. You hit this point where you're like, I've got, you know, yeah, yeah. decades of performances and I've done all these things, but I can't show that to my kids one day, you know? Like you, you do want to capture it. And it's have some interesting kind of that you've now transitioned into visual art and painting. It's a much more permanent, uh, tangible yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of... It's the kind of opposite As soon as, as I was doing it, it's like, wow, I've done... Uh, when I sold my first painting, I was like... Wow, I've, it's like, yeah, it's like doing a show, but now that's going to be on someone's wall, like for, forever, or yeah. you know. Yeah, it's yeah. like the complete opposite of yeah. this idea of an ephemeral, uh, an experience that someone has that both yeah, you yeah. and the audience have. You, you know, this is you have the experience of of painting the the painting, but then and there's a level of detachment that happens when you then take it out of your studio and sell it to someone, and it leaves your but it, it, it still exists in the world forever as this archive, yeah, yeah. you know, like you're saying. Did you ever think of getting into, um, it just struck me when you're talking about TV, did, about uh, getting into film and you describe 
you know what you do as stunts and and i'm a stunt performer as well i've worked in films and so but it strikes me as you're talking that your mentality around what you consider Mm -hmm. doing a stunt and is completely different to the mentality of like stunt performers and but did it ever cross your mind at some point to go actually i might get into doing stunts and film uh, and that I, kind I'm, of thing. I'm definitely open to it but I, I guess yeah my my the kind of stunts that I want to perform are a bit more kind of niche kind of stunts but I'm, I'm definitely yeah if anyone's making a tv show and wants me in it <laughs> but um yeah I, I I do I do really like um kind of different kind of reality tv shows mm. you know I've done heaps of the got talent shows around the world but not, not they're not my favorite but um i think that's probably the difference with yours because you're they're, they're real they're, they're real it has to be reality tv it's yeah like, yeah i like uh, you know i've been on all sorts of tv shows the ripley's tv shows outrageous acts of science and um yeah and all, all different versions of these like guinness world record shows and um and but they're all reality shows mm. basically you know you've got a host and you've got you, you do your stunt and uh, you, you, you've got a you know really big crew helping you out to make it look the best that it can be, and mm. and uh, yeah, and then you do it, and it's like yes, I did it, and it looks great, and I'm really happy with it, and now it's it's there forever, and yeah. How do, you, how do you go on those sets mm. like with the risk assessments and the workplace health and say, do you find <laughs> with all the red tape, <laughs> you go, they go, what are you what are you going to do, Shane? I'm going to electrocute myself. <laughs> Um, I know what I know what things are like these days. It's one thing to perform in the street, but uh, when you're in a in a studio like that, uh, is that ever problematic? Uh, no, it's never really been an issue. They uh, just trust because, you because it's, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, a stunt performer, so if you just say I've got you know twenty something years of experience, I've yeah they, I've done these tests. Everything's tagged and tested. Everything you know. Um, and they go, that, that's yeah, fine, just sign the yeah, waiver. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a great word, disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just going back to the art, like, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the process that you went through of um, sort of discovery? You said you'd never put paint to canvas before. So when you went, I'm going to have a go at that, did you have a clear idea of what your style was, what sort of subject matter, or did you just, did it come out naturally? And, and how did you sort of discover that? Uh, my style has changed pretty much uh, monthly. So, so, yeah, every couple of months I've like, I go, uh, yeah, so I've been doing those, those drip paintings. I do a lot of kind of skeletons and, uh, in drips, and so I've only been doing that for maybe a couple of months. And then before that I was doing cartoons, and uh, everything has kind of like a bent twist to it, and I've, I do like um, drawing skeletons for some reason. Yeah, I, just, I like these I, ones with I the cool. the outline, the grey. Oh yeah, yeah. The, mm. the grey negative outline with the yeah. cat and the. And the yeah, they're inspired um, by uh, vintage anatomy uh, drawings, um, which were yeah, which are uh, kind of really kind of beautiful anatomy artworks. Yeah. That they don't really do anymore, so um, I'm kind of bringing them to life, but in uh, with a new take. <laughs> And then some almost have like a, a bit of a punk rock inspired uh, feel to them. And then you've got some that you, um, like a, a, a cubism style one I can see <laughs> yeah. over here. So you've no, ever that's s- the only one I've ever attempted in, in <laughs> cubism. Yeah, this one over here, that, that was um, painted with my unicycle. 
I, yeah, so when the pandemic first started and I was like, oh, well, I'm not using my unicycle anymore. So I, I've got a three meter tall unicycle. I juggle chainsaws on it. And um, so I laid down the unicycle and just modified it. So instead of spinning the wheel, it would spin boards and canvases. And then I'd throw paint at it and try to make uh, skulls and different patterns. And yeah. I was going to say, that one looks like a skull. Was that intentional? Yeah, yeah it is. It's intentional. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a s- centrifugal force. Uh, splat painting uh, with a, a, a like a yeah painting of a skull that becomes a piece of performance art in itself have you ever filmed did, the process uh I, I did yeah i did a couple of times um while i was making some spin paintings and at the opening of this gallery actually i did uh, my big tesla coil act the million volt man uh, act where i um, stood on the tesla coil at the front of the gallery and so we gathered the crowd at the front we had a band and and um uh, and before we kind of um, chopped the rope, the, uh, the ribbon to let everyone into the gallery, which was bit with these big hedge clippers, which after I chopped it, I swallowed the hedge clippers. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, Don't invite him to a dinner party. <laughs> but the little uh, pre-performance was, was a, an auction of a painting, which I would make uh, in front of the audience, which was actually a, a painting of a, of a skeleton with its hands in the air standing on a Tesla coil. And so then I, I stood on top of the coil held the painting in my hands uh, in the air and then we cranked up the tesla coil and so the electricity would go so i've got no shoes on it goes through my through my feet through my body uh through my hands and then i'm on the sides of the of the painting i put some screws with some wire coming through the back into the hands of the skeleton so while i'm holding it above my head the electricity is trying to escape and it's trying to ground itself but because of the way the coil works it just sprays out so anyway the electricity goes from the 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 hands of the skeleton in the painting and tr- tracks all the way up and burns these fractal burn marks what? to the top of the painting <laughs> and uh and then it all catches fire and then i blow blow the painting out and then, and then jump, jump off the, co- the coil and then we auctioned it out for, wow. for a, a suicide prevention charity yeah what did it go Amazing. for uh, it went for four hundred dollars. <laughs> wow, bargain! Yeah. That's yeah, a bargain. Yeah, bargain. Yeah. I, would, I would have fucking yeah, bought yeah. that. I would have bid into that for sure. What's it, it? Looking around, like the, the whole thing with the skulls and the skeletons, and is there some? Um, what I, I'm, I'm interested to know what your kind of idea of death and more mortality is around, especially considering what you do. You must have some sort of must think about that idea of our yeah, existence. Well, I mean, uh, death is just a part of life, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's the only thing that's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen. So, so mm. um, but I guess in, in, my, in my paintings, I, I'm not really thinking about death while I'm painting them. I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, a lot of them, they, I mean, they look like they're alive. So mm. like these, these ones over here, I've got two, there's maybe a two meter tall painting where it's got... Um, two skeletons kind of embracing each other it's called the embrace and the, so the, yeah the idea is to, to make to give them life so it's like it's kind of like an x-ray you're looking in it's like another way to look at at, uh, at two people rather mm. than uh, I mean uh, to me I never thought of them as dead they didn't, I wasn't it's not like I'm looking at them down where they're laying on the ground that was that was no. two two skeletons embracing yeah. and having you know enjo- no, I enjoying see that with a all moment. of your work actually yeah, yeah and even the playfulness of children some of them sort of capture that spirit as well but there's a juxtaposition with it because there's that playfulness as you say and and that life like this moment of life but yet showing it with skulls and skeleton 
almost juxtaposes that life with death. It's it's quite it's quite a beautiful reminder yeah. of our it's all of part our, of the same cycle. Yeah, yeah, of our finite existence or that that cyclic nature of because yeah. uh, I think there's a very fine balance between death and life, and, yeah. and that and it's. I, I guess I'm trying to uh, encourage people to not take take death or life too seriously. <laughs> Have you ever seen the work of uh, I think his name is Gunther von Hagen's? Yeah, 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 yeah I've, he got does. A, I've got one of his hearts. Uh, I've got a um, he plastinated human heart. You have one from, from him, yeah, yeah. In the uh, so, uh, oddities, so, so, so that people know who he is. He's yeah. uh, he's the guy who invented the plastination yeah. uh, technique, and he he uh, then ran the the body exhibition, uh, which has been all around the world with uh, four bodies um, plastinated, which is you swap the the wet cells for plastic, so it looks exactly like wet tissue so you can take all the skin off and see all the muscles or take all the muscles off and then you see see all the veins and different yeah um and so it's an amazing technique um mm. and yeah so i've got a, a human heart in a in a jar wow. from him and he does yeah. the, the human di- the, li- the the live dissections he had a tv series yeah. where he'd dissect yeah, 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 and yeah. he'd look at different parts of the anatomy and and then he had these well, I believe he's had a series of exhibitions that have toured the world, and and he he dissects people in these really beautiful artistic ways, where you know he'll have parts of the anatomy kind of fanning out in a really ornate sort of fashion, and he'll put people in poses where they're. Is that the one that like has slithers of like you know like a? He a also will do cross section cuts and things like that. But yeah. there was this 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 exhibition yeah. that toured full horse, someone a human on a horse, on a horse, and, and it was really con- muscles. It was really wow. controversial at the time a lot of people were completely outraged by it and yeah that that kind of baffled me a little bit I mean I can see why it's confronting for people but I thought I think the work's quite quite beautiful what's your sort of take on that oh I loved it yeah Yeah. I was definitely uh yeah inspired intrigued amazed it was uh it's a beautiful exhibit and uh, I would definitely go to it again. And his yeah. technical skill too, as a oh, it's incredible. Yeah, 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 amazing. And that's that. I mean, that sort of thing is different to that. Do you remember in Denmark, we went to that exhibition, and it was the it was a video playing the horse and the jars. Yeah, mm. and so the, on. Uh, there's a whole wall of jars, formaldehyde jars, and there's all like bits of tissue and organs and stuff in all of the jars. Yeah. And so you walk in, you kind of like, oh, I wonder what these jars are are they animals or bits of you know what you know organs and stuff and then on the on the wall behind it there's a a video playing and it's a guy cutting up a horse into like bits and you you kind of make the connection not just cutting it up killing it was a it was a part of the artwork was that they took a horse and they into the snow and they kind of execute it, and then he he cuts it up. It's a live horse, and you see the video of the jars, and yeah, that's pretty. And intense. then the jars were displayed <laughs> as an artwork, and in conjunction with the video, that's the artwork. Displayed. And so you're in this kind yeah. of thing in this room, and you you kind of looking at this, going, "Oh, okay, this is interesting." And then you see the video, and then you make the connection, and you're like, "Oh fuck!" Like that's <laughs> what that is, and that was super confronting. That but was. I kind guess of the too, difference is he's killed a perfectly healthy horse. For all we know, well, was it? Yeah. Well, riddled with cancer. That was the controversy, <laughs> though, that he was killing a live animal. And I suppose, in the case of, you yeah. know, Gunther van Hagen's, it's uh, 
These yeah. are people who have, who have donated their bodies. To, yeah, I'd, to fi- I'd find that um, exhibition quite confronting as well. I mean, I, I'm vegan. <laughs> I've, like, I've been veg- vegetarian like for you know since I was 17 or something, and I, uh, you know, I, I I love you know taxidermy and you know unusual specimens, but I'm. Um, after seeing something like that, I'd, I'd have a lot of questions about that horse. Well, taxidermy in th- in th- um, interest is in- is interesting as a vegan. Um, how do you kind of determine like what's done ethically? Is there a lot of kind of unethical practice in taxidermy? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I well, I, I I like to stick to specifically um, like mutated animals that have died naturally right they're born naturally and um yeah or which have been uh sourced from like really old freak shows that are um that are pieces that um almost like historical pieces yeah they're historical pieces Mm. it's not um yeah i wouldn't ask someone to kill a horse for my show i I wondered on that exhibition though if it wasn't if it wasn't the ultimate comment on vegetarianism and, yeah, and yeah. vegan like well, on I vegetarian as well it probably and I, would have turned a few people <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i wondered if it was like this extreme way to yeah, kind of yeah, make yeah. a point like a bit like a climate change kind yeah. of exhibition it did strike me that i was like there's got to be a a deeper point to this like if, i think yeah. it was it was a piece of activism it's kind of like well if you're not okay with this then why are you eating that hamburger yeah you know? yeah yeah it's um, like uh, having a um putting a huge pile of uh, car tires on the street and burning them as a as a yeah. <laughs> activism thing yeah, for yeah. climate change. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. What is it about deformed the deformed animals, the the the, the Siamese animals and things like that? That um, like by putting them on the dis, on the dis, on display, do you uh, you know, and they've had a, often a very short life. They've kind of either been stillborn or or died soon after uh, birth. Um, in some way, do you feel that that kind of honoring their their beauty in their own unique way you know is there something like that that you feel uh i i think so yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, well either either that or they get you know thrown in the compost or yeah. <laughs> yeah i think there's a there's a lot to be learnt and a lot of enjoyment to be had from mm. uh things that are so unusual that you know many people still don't think that anything like that has ever existed mm. so Having having them last, you know, preserving them, making them, you know, potentially last forever, then uh, it it's yeah, it's definitely honouring the animal for sure. I guess there's a bit of a duality in freak show and sideshow between, um, I guess, you know, looking back a hundred years ago, where um, some of those people, you know, they would have been downtrodden, wouldn't ha- wouldn't have had any hope in life potentially, depending on where they came from and and that the sideshow was a way of them not only just making a living, but having a life and you know a self worth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, this element of of the, the audience viewing this oddity is also like, um, yeah, this this weird sort of duality about that as well. Yeah, which is which yes. is which is still going today. I mean, uh, like there's one guy, uh, Jason Brott, who we flew over one year for um, for our show at Woodford Festival. 
and I actually cast his body, his, his statues in the, in the gallery here. Um, it was a bronze uh, bust statue and I engraved all these tattoos into the statue. But anyway, he's, he's born uh, with, uh, 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 what's the condition, is it? It's not phocomelia, which is, uh, oh yeah, phocomelia, and it um, means seal-like limbs. And it's, he's uh, literally got uh, yeah, no arm bones whatsoever. He's just got fingers, uh, like hands and fingers coming out his shoulder blades. And also he's four foot three and um, yeah, completely tattooed from head to toe. Just <laughs> his upper body or his lower body um, as well? What's his... Uh, he's got really short legs, short torso. Um, he's got a lot of kind of leg uh, disabilities. Um, so wears uh, leg splints all the time. And um, But, you know, he's, he's an amazing performer, but he's a guy who can't reach into his own pockets. He can't... Uh, you know, he needs help going to the bathroom. He needs help, you know, showering. He needs, uh, he can't get a job, you, you know, uh, like mm. uh, he's, he's also like you were talking about the old freak show performers from the past, you know, they, a, a lot of these guys, although they were, although now a lot of people look at it as though, you know, they were all being uh, exploited and abused where, you know, they were, they were part of a family, you know, there was all these performers who would or all these freaks who couldn't get other jobs but now they're amongst people who are like themselves who are their family and they're traveling together living together they can support themselves there and a lot of them yeah i think it was very few actually thought they were being exploited most of them thought you know that this is what what their life is and they wouldn't want to do anything else well they've been given an opportunity you know in a weird way like you know what, yeah, what could yeah. be seen as exploitation is also an opportunity yeah. for them to go well or otherwise it's this yeah. or or what's my alternative yeah, kind yeah. of thing that's so fascinating it seems like you've you know there's a there's a theme to what you do as a performer and your paintings that you're kind of trying to expose this kind of beauty in um in not necessarily obvious ways like you know trying to display that's something that you on the surface might appear grotesque or extreme or um, that it's actually quite beautiful, you know. And Things that people, we normally try and distance ourselves from. Yeah, you go, that's confronting or that's macabre. But but it seems to me that, I don't know if that's a conscious thing, but that's just the feel I get from your work and, and, and seeing your paintings here, that it, it's actually really honing in on, on what is amazing about human beings and what is beautiful about life and there's like an appreciation to that too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, the beauty is in our differences. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Is that a conscious, is that because that become over the years, has that become a conscious uh, like artistic oh, choice? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've always, yeah, always in, encouraged diversity and just, I, yeah, I love, you know, that, that I've always known that that's, you know, that's what you love about people. You don't love something about, uh, yeah, the only reason, you, you know, you, you find people interesting is is from the, through their differences. So, mm. Mm. yeah, I think that's a beautiful yeah. note to start wrapping up. But I have to ask you the obvious question that we haven't asked: Where did the name come from, the Space Cowboy? <laughs> uh, I started whip cracking when I was like a young teenager, and I called myself the Space Cowboy. As a, <laughs> oh, sorry, um, called myself the Cowboy as a as a street performer. And then I wanted something a little bit more unique, so I added space to the beginning, 
and then it wasn't until years later I realized it actually isn't that unique. <laughs> but, uh, but I've still got the spacecowboy.com, so I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and if people want to check out more of what you're doing, the gallery, um, obviously there's not a lot of live performing maybe happening right now. We really hope that all uh, the world goes back to close to as normal as possible so we can all get back to it. But um, Mind you, you are going to the Tattoo Convention uh, this weekend in Brisbane, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. doing some performing yeah, there yeah. and stuff. Yeah, doing loads of shows, hosting the whole event and the tattoo competitions and running the art gallery there. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy weekend. <laughs> awesome. And which, uh, which looks like it's only just <laughs> gone through the, the COVID okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. And people can check out your gallery where? Uh, well, I'm at uh, 12 Welling Bar Street in Byron Bay, and it's kind of, it's open I- intermittently and by appointment. But if you go to thespacecowboy.com, if you want to contact me, you can see the gallery. Uh, you can check out all my performances, videos, and, and much more. Awesome. Shane, thank you so much for um, making the time to talk out your arts with us. It's been a real, real pleasure to, uh, and super interesting to have you on. So thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. Thank Appreciate yeah, it. Cheers, great. Thanks. Cheers. That's awesome, dude. That's so fascinating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>